Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. Write to me, theytalksex at protonmail.com. This is the grief and sexuality episode with Megan Devine. So nice to speak to you today. You too. Thank you. Um, I will be incredibly transparent because that's what we do here. I've read half of It's Okay That You're Not Okay, Meeting Grief and Loss in a Culture That Doesn't Understand. Um, And I read half of it and a friend of mine was like, oh, did you finish that? I'm like, no, I read half of it. Then they kind of joke. They're like, oh, did you just like read enough to feel healed and then stop? And I was like, yeah, actually. <laughs> Exa- exactly. So I didn't think you'd be offended. Um, Not at all. Right. So uh, you were a counselor for nine years before the death of your husband. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. I was in private practice for this year. I think this year is 20 years that I've been in practice. Okay. Um, so okay. yeah, doing math and it had been, I'd been in practice for eight years when he died. Okay. And so you are the author of It's Okay That You're Not Okay. What is the second book you wrote? The second book is a journal. It's called How to Carry What Can't Be Fixed. The title of that sort of builds off of how I talk about grief, right? It's not something that you get over. It's something that you live alongside of and mm-hmm. carry with you because it's part of love and you carry love with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It says in, it's okay that you're not okay, that you learn to build a life alongside your grief. Um, your Instagram is where you talk to people very candidly and there's a lot of people sharing um, and that's at refuge in grief. Your website is the same refuge in grief.com. So since you were a counselor for nearly a decade before the sudden accidental drowning death of your husband. I'm so sorry you had to watch that. Ah, I knew I was going to cry. So here we are. Did his death change how you provided your care to people? That's a really good question. Now, people ask me about what was it like being a therapist? Like, I think people expect this like, Oh, I suddenly realized <laughs> that everything, like everything I did was wrong. And, you know, with, with a lot of being human, I think that the answer is a little more nuanced than that, that mm-hmm. um, certainly the, I mean, the day that he died, I called a friend and told her to tell all of my clients that I was never coming back. And I never did go back. Wow. I, I felt like, I felt like everything I had done up to that point was crap. Hmm. Um. And that was definitely a, a trauma shock. The world just melted reaction. Totally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I I did really good work. I was and am a really good therapist. Mm-hmm. Oh, I believe what's, that. That's why you're on. <laughs> <laughs> woo! Um, I think what what's different is it made me question what my foundational beliefs were about how we grow and why we grow. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This, um, even if I didn't outwardly talk with people all the time about like, Oh, this, this happened so that you could learn more about yourself and what you want for the future. And and how do you want to do things differently next time? Like all of those sort of classic therapy questions. Mm -hmm. Um, 
even if I didn't say those out loud, like as though there was something to learn from anything that happened to you, they were definitely part of my foundational understanding of the world. Shit mm -hmm. things happen and they suck. And let's give that some space and then find out how we build how uh, I can't even say the things that I probably used to believe, right? We're like, it's <laughs> a really crappy thing. And, and these are the ways that you're stronger. And these are the ways that you understand the world differently. Like there's just a, there was mm -hmm. a subtle framing in me, I think, um, being part mm -hmm. of this culture, believing not that you needed something crappy to happen to you, but that growth was always going to happen from it. I guess that's the most succinct way I can say it, that growth is always going to happen. And that, that belief in mm -hmm. positive growth was obliterated mm -hmm. the day Matt died and that won't come back. So I relate to this in a way that since my partner died, um, as of this recording eight months ago, that was by um, a gun suicide. So some different circumstances, some similarities. It's the loss of a partner. It was sudden to me in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I've reflected on the advice or the comfort I've received and then the advice or the comfort I used to try to give before I was close to death in any way. And recently, a good friend of mine, we work at the strip club together, um, very intimate atmosphere, sometimes the dressing room. And her brother died in a horrible, random car accident. And she and I have bonded so much more because now all she has to say is like, oh, I'm wearing my brother's stinky sweater. I should probably take that off if I want to make money here at the strip club. What the fuck am I doing? And I'm just like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole new language, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it's not a requirement that you have, that you need to have experienced horrendous death in close into your orbit in order to get somebody or be a good support to somebody. But there is a special language spoken in hell <laughs> that only those in hell understand, mm -hmm. right? There's a shorthand there. And it's not that you know what your friend is going through, nor do they know what you're going through, but you, you have adjoining rooms in hell. And so you speak the same language. There's a, there's a shared vocabulary there that I think from the outside, Mm -hmm. um, people don't understand. And that's not a judgment. I can, I can mm -mm. hear some, I can hear some, but, but, but I'm a really good friend. Um, mm -mm. it's not oh, yeah. a judgment that those who haven't experienced a world melting loss can't mm -hmm. understand. That's, that's not, Oh, you know, you'll never get it. It's more like, Oh, wow. You and I both speak this dialect of Mandarin and we're going to go speak this dialect of Mandarin over here that like is only spoken on this one particular mountaintop. Mm -hmm. right? Oh, we're so, definitely both in hell, like waving at each other from adjacent rooms. Yeah. The rooms are slightly different. Exactly. Um, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, uh, so this episode serves to discuss the impacts of grief specifically on relationships, public perceptions, feelings of shame, uh, and also sexuality and libido after death, specifically of a partner or a lover. Um, pardon me if I'm wrong. I didn't see anything where you've talked about this before in this book. Have you discussed these topics before? I did not put it in the book. This is one of my favorite topics and I Ooh. don't get to talk about it very often. So yeah. I'm quite, not quite. 
Oh, hell yeah. Okay, good. We're going to die. No, no, no. Super psyched to talk about this because this is like, so if death and grief are uncomfortable things for people to talk about, sexuality, libido, desire, everything else um, within those taboo subjects is like, oh, I can't talk about this because it's it's such an intimate thing. Mm -hmm. And grieving people already feel so misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And receive so much unsolicited advice and judgment mm-hmm. from everyone that to bring this personal, intimate thing into a sphere where you already feel judged is just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, just not feasible. Um, okay, so do you think there are reasons why people don't always talk publicly about their grief or their experiences? Yeah, people don't talk about grief because they don't want to be told to cheer up and look on the bright side. <laughs> At least right? you got and that time together. Yeah. Aren't you so lucky? Yeah. That, that. Better to have loved was, and lost than never to have Oh, loved how sweet. <laughs> how Disney. Um, but, you know, when I was, when my agent and I were looking for a publisher for It's Okay, mm-hmm. a lot of what we got from the big publishing houses at the time was, oh, this is amazing. Megan's work is so needed, but grief books don't sell. Nobody wants to talk about grief. And my response was, you're right. Nobody wants to talk about grief if we talk about it in the ways that we have Mm -hmm. modern historically spoken about it, which is to look on the bright side, be resilient, stay strong, remember Mm -hmm. the good times and move on with your life. Nobody wants to talk about grief if that's the way you're going to talk about it. But if you open a space where grief is seen as valid and normal and human and deserving of acknowledgement and respect, then everyone wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, you, so you take that, if we can find places where people understand that grief isn't a problem to be solved and that we, we have awkwardly beautiful conversations about how hard it is to be human. Then I think you can start being curious about maybe this is a, maybe this is a, a community or a, friendship or a relationship where I can start talking about the things that I only say to myself, mm-hmm. where you have to earn that trust before you come out with something intimate and God, nothing brings out the judgment, like saying something about your sexuality, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Oh, don't I know it? Don't we know it here? <laughs> we talk a lot about censorship. Yeah. And, and shame. Um, I wanted to read a paragraph from uh, your book. Let's see. Page 27. You said, in my own early days, I heard unimaginable things about my grief, about my skills in dealing with grief, and about Matt himself. I was told that I wasn't a very good feminist if I was this upset over, quote, losing a man. I was told that my personal and spiritual development must not have been as good as I thought if if I couldn't find the gift in this situation. I also heard that Matt never loved me. What? That he was happier freed from his body than he ever could have been while alive that he would be horrified at how badly I was doing. I was told that Matt and I created this with our intentions, that we had a contract in this life, we agreed to this, and since we agreed, there was no reason to be upset. I don't even understand what half of that is supposed to mean. People are (laughs) I am so sorry. But like reading that, I read that over and over again, and I posted that on my Instagram because some of the things people told me, they're like, obviously you – he felt alone if he killed himself. I'm like, dude. Right, how dare you not see the pain he was in, Oh. Yeah, I'm like, dude, I tried to keep him alive for two years, man. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, this is something 
um, you know, we, we talk about rooms in hell and levels in hell, but deaths by suicide are so mm. terrifying to people from the outside, from mm-hmm. the inside too, but we're going to go outside for a second here. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it kicks off that whole, like, oh shit, are there signs and people I care about that I'm missing? Let me make sure that I identify what the survivors did wrong so that I could never do that. Right. And that's right? not it's actually doing any exploration. That's just doubling down on your own uh, cognitive dissonance. It's not. Yeah. And this idea that if somebody completes a suicide, that their friends and family and partners um, either missed the signs or they didn't do enough. Most people who survive someone's suicide were working fucking hard to keep them alive for a long time. Oh yeah. A long time. Yeah. And just because somebody completed suicide does not mean that the survivor failed. Oh, totally. <clears throat> so yes, everyone, I'm choked up. Um, something I'm going to say real quick and then we'll move away from suicide and we'll do some listener feedback. But um, I recently had another, uh, this was a close friend and not so much a former partner, but uh, we did work together in the industry for a couple of years. We were very close friends. We made porn together. Uh, we all three made me, Brian, and this person made porn together. So I lost two porn partners, um, close friends to suicide in the last eight months. Ugh. And the reason I'm sharing this is because I I want people to know that what really helped me is my mom who said to me, if you blame yourself for having not like followed him outside when you thought he was smoking a cigarette, or if you feel like you could have stopped this, just remind yourself your person could have completed a suicide five minutes later, the next day later, a week later, a month later, years later. It's really, really hard to be that kind of like guardian. And yeah. it's it's really impossible. So just... I hear everybody experiences guilt for that kind of stuff. I know I did. Yeah. Your mom's right. You're so easy to talk to. You're a great counselor. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Seriously, though, if you need to like walk away for a second. Oh, I'll yeah. Right no, here. it's okay. Thank you. I'm actually pretty used to turning it on and off for the most part. Thank goodness for being a stripper. Yeah. The dissociating <laughs> skills yes. are really useful skill. Yes. Oh, my gosh. A video shoot, a video shoot for something the other day and it involved uh we were long story that i don't need to tell but um we were in the well what passes for woods here in la county but there was this little stream and they kept having me like go back and forth across the stream stick your hand in the water no put your hands up and i was like "Mm." you know me and water shoots like wow i'm feeling really activated right now weird (laughs) Huh. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we went over some of the weird stuff we hear. Um, We talked about guilt. So I asked some of my social media peoples, I said, have you lost a lover or partner? Did your libido change? We're going to talk about libido more. Someone says, yes, I have no libido now. Someone says, yes, it 100% died with them, still hasn't returned. Someone says, I craved sex even more because I needed the intimacy that was suddenly absent. Someone says, yes, after my partner left us, and by that she means died, I didn't have sex for three years. 
someone says, yes, she passed in August. So as of this recording, that's only two months ago. He says, I don't feel like it has changed, but I don't have desire for anyone else. Ugh. That was the worst in the early days for me when I like missed his body. Mm. Yeah. 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 Can you speak to any of that? Yes. So there's, have you ever heard the phrase skin hunger? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Like, okay. So you know what I'm talking about there? There is that very specific craving for your person's body, not any body, but that one. Right. And knowing that that is something that you can never feel again is horrendous. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, we're, we're, we're animals, we're human animals. We have biological desires and libido, you know, um, all of that stuff. And it's like, it's not so much when I think of that skin hunger, I th it's for me, for me personally, it's less about libido than it is about that mammalian need for contact mm -hmm. and what contact does to the nervous system and mm -hmm. the nerves in the skin and what it does to your neocortex, like all of like everything that touch gives us. And it has to be that one specific person who you can never touch again. Mm -hmm. And then there you are in that loop of like, this is the most horrendous thing that's ever happened and whatever however else your grief expresses distress it, it feels yeah, like distress is a good yeah. word for that yeah yeah so um i mean the night of matt's funeral his his elderly aunt god's lover walked up to me and patted me on the arm and said um my deepest prayer for you is that you find somebody else immediately and um <sighs> get married as soon as possible. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my God. But the amount of people who within like a week of his accidental death, kind of surprising, uh, yeah. the amount of people who came up to me and said, um, you're so pretty. You're so smart. You're so young. You'll get snapped up again immediately. I'm like, yeah. thanks. He's not interchangeable with like any <laughs> random person. Yep. So there's like, there's that thing with like, what a, what a mind fuck to mm -hmm. be in a body, to know that there is a body that is forever gone from you. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, okay, so what are my choices here? My choices are, I can either be alone for the rest of this life, or I can be with somebody who is not the person I want. Mm -hmm. You can do what I did, which was experience a bunch of bodies in a very short amount of time. And yeah. uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, I love that. I want to I jump on that one just for a second. Sure. Because it's like that, that option of if you wanted, you could go experience as many bodies as you want, consensually speaking. Um, and that I think for a lot of people, they don't realize that as an option or that option comes with such deep-seated Western puritanical shame. What does this mean about my partner? If I can just quote, I'm doing air quotes here. If I can uh -huh. just go fuck somebody else, mm -hmm. like. It, it just like the layers and the layers and, mm -hmm. the, layers and the layers. Oh, yeah. We're going to peel more of those back. Definitely. Yeah. yeah definitely going to talk more about that. I'm going to read a couple more of these and then we'll take yeah, a break. All right. So someone says, my husband says he got hornier after his first wife died. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, Yes, uh, it went down at first. Libido came back four to six months later. First, I was only interested in masturbation. That makes sense. 
That's mm-hmm. nice. That's a nice way to go. My husband died suddenly in March. My drive is now insatiable. Widow's fire, man. And then a fire Do emoji. <laughs> See, I like that we can appreciate all of these, even if they're vastly different and not our own experiences. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that all human bodies are different. All psyches are different. All needs are different. And even within the same person, right? There's like internal whiplash there. Like, Ooh, I found that person really hot. You did what? Mm-hmm. Right? And like mm-hmm. back, and forth and back and forth. And there's, I think, I think what all of these comments show is that every response is different between mm-hmm. people and within a one person and that they're all valid. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that. I love the person who said like the, uh, you know, my husband said he got uh, hornier after his first wife died. Like there is like libido is a spark of life. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's only been again, it's only been eight ish months since Brian left. Um, and I'm a very sexually prolific person. I am lucky to be networked that I have people I can text and be like, you are screened and you are down. Okay. Um, I'm very, very lucky. Slutty person. A lot of people don't have those kinds of resources because they haven't lived their life to build those kinds of resources. Um, Brian and I were non-monogamous the last two, three years of our four and a half year relationship. So I was lucky that when I felt the first month, no, I thought I was dying. But after that, I thought, wow, sex sounds good again. And like a lot of it, I had someone I could contact because it was one of my comet partners from when Brian was alive. So, um, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I was very able to anchor in my sexuality, uh, but I know that's not the case for everyone. And there's something very, there's something really grounding about that too, mm-hmm. right? With a sudden rupture in the world, which is what sudden death is, um, grounding in the physical body can be really difficult. And sometimes that's sex for people, right? Mm -hmm. And sex with a familiar person, just as you were just describing like that, there is something, um, anchoring, anchoring, comforting, um, comforting in a world that doesn't feel like it has any comfort possible in it. Yes. Right. And also like there's, you didn't say this, but like there's, there's also something to be said for being with people um, that you have some context with uh, Mm -hmm. that you can be like, I need to, I need to stop this or because I'm thinking about this person or this feels really sad to me or something just happened. But I mean, this is, even if it's not somebody that you knew prior, like those Mm -hmm. are, those are like gold star level sexual partnerships and relationships, right? Where you can Mm -hmm. be in conversation about what's happening with you at the moment, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of what, what your work is, right? Like let's have some conversations in these bodies, between these bodies and bringing your um, mm-hmm. what is happening for you in the moment into the moment is mm-hmm. a really powerful and sometimes daunting thing to do. Oh my gosh. It feels so healing. I started uh, crying. I was having sex with someone that I've been seeing for the last couple of months and I really like them. And he totally knows what's up with uh, all of the Brian stuff. And uh, I just started crying in the middle. I was like, I need a minute. And I said to him, you know, I feel really, and he just sat there like, very chill. He sat back and just let me have a minute. And I said, 
And I felt so vulnerable saying this, but I said, you know, I feel really safe and happy with the sex that we have, but it's still very different having sex with someone I'm getting to know compared to having sex with someone who was in love with me for years. So it feels a little strange. I said something like that. And he was like, that makes sense. And then just like that, it passed like a wave. And I was like, okay, I can fuck again. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And that, that terrifying, vulnerable moment, like those are skills you can, that get easier, not easy, but easier with practice, the more you mm -hmm. do them. And of course, like you don't want to just throw your vulnerability out there with, with people who won't receive it the way that they should, right? No pearls, bef pearls before swine. Is that mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't throw your pearls before the swine. Yeah. That sort of thing. But it, it really is cultivating these relationships where it is safe to be human and be who you are. And that you don't shut off your humanity when you're having sex with somebody. Oh right? no. Wide open baby. So that's why we write and do podcasts. Exactly. Exactly. All right, let's take a break. Ioba Toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys, the Oh My G and the Oh My C. The Oh My G is a G-spot massager with three intensity levels, a massaging pearl, and a unique C-shape made to precisely hit the G-spot. The Oh My C is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. This is the Grief and Sexuality episode with Megan Devine. Megan has written two books. The one that we're talking about today and I'm holding in my hand is It's Okay That You're Not Okay, Meeting Grief and Loss in a Culture That Doesn't Understand. And Megan's website and Instagram are refugeingrief.com. So let's do some listener questions. Okay, so I just kind of talked about this. <laughs> listener question one. Is it normal, this person asked me, to feel hypersexual after about a month from the onset of grief? Yes. Yes. Megan said so. <laughs> that is exactly that is, yes. what happened to me. Yeah. The, the first month after B died, I was like walking around dry heaving. I was shaking. I was people checking on me, trying to make sure I'm eating and sleeping. And then after survival stuff was kind of like, down and manageable and I was bathing and brushing my teeth and like getting up and playing with my kid I was like fuck I'm horny <laughs> normal yes common I don't know I wish they'd study that well I mean it's hard to date I think it's hard to gauge what's common because we mm -hmm. don't usually talk about this aspect of grief exactly mm -hmm. right so normal yes to me, most things in grief are normal, but we don't think they're normal because we don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Yes. We're going to say 
Yeah, I mean, I think just just by math, right? Like if you're experiencing it, chances are pretty logical mm -hmm. that a few other people have experienced it too. I mean, my definition of normal here is really, really broad because humans are human and how you respond is how you respond. I mean, the only places that I get concerned about folks or that I tell people it's okay to worry about somebody in this thing, like if they are not eating, not drinking water, mm. not sleeping, if you're concerned about suicidality or self-harm or they're harming others, right? If they're getting plastered and driving on the highway mm -hmm. with their lights off, mm -hmm. we have a problem, mm -hmm. right? It's not that that response to grief is wrong, it's that it's fucking mm -hmm. dangerous and we need to get some support around you. So, mm. you know, just sort of qualifying my, yes, you're normal thing, like other than actual harm, like things that cause harm to you or other people, mm. you are a human responding to something deeply distressing. So yes. That's very valuable. And I feel like I should do the good sex educator job and tuck in a couple reminders about how are you dealing with the hypersexuality? Because for me, something that I notice is like, I didn't have a one night stand. I never took anyone home from a bar ever in my life, despite being like a really slutty person until the two month mark after he died. And I realized it was because I just wanted to feel something totally different for a couple hours. But me having strangers over is not safe. And with my privacy needs, not recommended. So check in with yourself. How are you dealing? I love that you brought that up because this is the thing is it's not that any decisions are necessarily right or wrong. You want to be curious about, did this work for me? Mm -hmm. What was I looking for? Like when you just said, like, I never used to bring anybody home from a bar. I did. Mm -hmm. You did exactly what your, your therapist would recommend, which is what were you <laughs> looking for? Mm -hmm. Did the action you chose meet that need? And how did yes. you feel afterwards? Very lucky. Very lucky. I screened really well with this guy, but I was like, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and it's a six and a half foot tall man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it really is about, did you get what you were looking for? And yeah, was this necessarily like in your best interest? Was this safe? Right. So again, mm -hmm. like good public health educator, we're not really talking about right or wrong. We're talking mm -hmm. about safety. We're talking mm -hmm. about being curious about your own needs and checking in with yourself. Did this give me what I was looking for? Mm -hmm. And um, being honest with yourself. I love that you said like, I could sit here on this vibrator for the next three hours or I could actually <laughs> like, do laundry, take a bath. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. again, no wrong choices outside of harm. Um, mm -hmm. But there is, uh, you know, you can get swallowed up by distraction Mm -hmm. And that reflection question is like, how do I feel after this? Mm -hmm. Am I creating hardship for myself downstream here? No water pun intended. Um, mm -hmm. am, I, am I making things harder for myself because of this habit mm -hmm. that I'm engaging in? Right. Yeah. And again, like, no, not, that's not a judgment. That is curiosity about yourself. And how am I mm -hmm. showing up? That's a good one. I actually do that reminder for a lot of self-care. And this is kind of a self-help podcast. So it's a sexuality and a self-help podcast, I like to think. And uh, so I'll do that with like, there's nothing wrong with eating chips. I love chips. Potatoes keep me alive, like fries and chips all the time when I'm depressed. But sometimes I'm like, huh, if I just only eat chips for like 10 days and usually do that, what is my health trajectory going to look like in 10 years? Maybe I should have a fucking orange. Yeah. And then I'll eat an orange. <laughs> yeah. And this is like, you know, 
people who have uh, food allergies or intolerances will know this. Like if, you know, wheat tends to make you feel a little bit gross, but it's your best friend's birthday party and you're going to have a little piece of cake knowing mm. that you're going to have a shit stomach ache tomorrow. Okay. Mm-hmm. You did mm-hmm. your cost benefit analysis. You decided that that risk was worth it. Um, versus like, I'm going to eat cake for the next 14 hours straight. Well, maybe the cost benefit analysis isn't really in your favor on that one. So mm-hmm. it's, it's again, it's like, it's not in, other, you know, unless something is going to kill you, um, mm-hmm. you really got to look at, is this self-care or is this causing harm to myself? And let's look at that one, right? Mm-hmm. What in me is punishing myself to make myself feel worse or where am I not uh, able to pull myself out of this in such a way that I care for myself with the love I deserve? Mm-hmm. Totally. Right? Totally. So listener question number two, what do you recommend doing when you're hooking up with someone, but you start having flashbacks of a sex with your old partner? I would say I need to get some water or I need to take a break. Um, I wouldn't say, despite all my honesty and transparency, I wouldn't say, oh, I'm thinking about Brian. (laughs) But like what I did earlier is I explained the emotional process I was going through. Not everyone's going to be mature enough to handle that either. Yes. So taking a pause, I'd take some pauses. You don't have to take a pause. Yeah. And I mean, you, you can do some pre-work if you want to, you don't have to, you can say very, very briefly without getting into details. I'm in a really rough patch in my life. You might notice that I take a couple of breaks. Are you okay Mm. with that? Or I just want to let you know that that might happen, right? You don't have Mm. to say that. That takes a certain presence of mind to say that, but that's one option. So you're sort of doing the, doing, uh, laying the groundwork for yourself to be able Mm -hmm. to take a break. And the other thing is just like, again, if we think about issues of consent, if there was something that was happening in the interaction that you didn't like, I would hope that you would take a break, pause, step back, not continue if something was unpleasant or distressing. This is no different, right? Mm -hmm. So I like what you just said there, Elle, of like, I need to take a break. I need a minute. Um, We need to, can we stop? I need to go get some water or something. And then Mm -hmm. once you remove yourself from the situation and you have a minute to breathe, then you can make decisions about, do I want to say something about this? Mm -hmm. Do I just need a minute to clear my head and then I can come back? Right. Mm -hmm. No one answer to, do you disclose to the person I'm having flashbacks to my partner? (laughs) Um, No right or wrong on that. I think you get to decide in the moment, once you've taken a step away to ask yourself what you need in this moment. You might be done. You might need to end the interaction and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. might just like, I needed a second, got to clear my head back in the game, coming back, you know, as you described Al, a minute ago mm-hmm. with like that wave passed and you were able to come back. Oh yeah. Um, but I really, <laughs> I really like the practice of stepping away and taking a beat by yourself. Mm-hmm. And this is not just a skill or a practice that we need, um, in grief related sexual encounters. It is in all interactions with humans. You get to take a break. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you actually realize you're just kind of distractible, but you like what's happening, you can try doing the grounding techniques where you just actually start the naming the like, usually Mm -hmm. it's looking around the room and like, I see a green lamp. I see a red curtain, but pay attention to the person, like look at your partner's body and be like, 
I feel the fuzz of their chest or, you know, the soft or the. Yeah. You're grounding yourself in the current moment, Mm -hmm. right? Those are all things that you can be doing. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Listener question three. Why do I feel ashamed experiencing pleasure while grieving? Is this due maybe to cultural messaging? Oh, I think it's due to being human. Yeah. Cultural messaging, yes. And also being human, right? I mean, read the question again, because there's something really cool in there I want to touch on. Why do I feel ashamed experiencing pleasure while grieving? Is it perhaps due to cultural messaging? Right. Okay. So any kind of pleasure while grieving feels weird. Oh. One is, is, yes, cultural conditioning, right? Because there's this um, binary in emotionality. Like binaries do not work on humans at all. Binaries work in math. Uh, (laughs) Humans are not math. I've never been good at math, so. Yeah, me either, babe. Um, (laughs) Experiencing any kind of pleasure when you are grieving is really hard on the human brain because we do tend to think in binaries, oh, how dare I laugh at a joke when my kid is dead? Yeah. Right? How dare I have a good morning when my sister just died last week or last year, right? Mm-hmm. There is a um, an all or nothing thinking in there mm-hmm. that I think one is just part of being human, right? I remember the um, the first time I didn't wake up crying, and the first time that Matt wasn't the Matt being dead wasn't the first thought on my head in my mind when I got up, and I felt mm-hmm. horrible. <laughs> Did it really not mean that much to me that I could actually have a normal morning? How can I not be eternally devastated? Right? Right. That is true for a lot of people that they feel like the person they love didn't didn't matter or they weren't that important if I can be happy. Right? Yeah. So there's some of that internal judgment and there's also a real I mean if we if we think about the ways that we tend to um, see or deal with grief in this culture. It's like, just smile. Smiling will make you feel better. Look on the bright side. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, here's a big one, right? If somebody, God forbid, you're out in the world and you smile because people keep telling you to fucking smile Mm -hmm. and you smile and then somebody comes in and goes, oh, it's so good to see you happy again. Uh, Yeah, I've heard that. Right? There's this like presumption that a fleeting emotion defines who you are forever right i'm better now all better look at you you had a good day oh god (laughs) humans are so terrible um but yeah so so this is the thing we have this um there's a section in the journal the how to carry what can't be fixed journal uh it's Mm -hmm. my favorite part of the journal so the journal is in three parts i think Oh my gosh, my brain is so full. I don't know my but anyway, the last part of the journal, um, it's my favorite part because it opens with, if this were a, a normal kind of book, um, we would end with the sunset and the happy ending and, and everything being amazing from here on out. But instead, we need to talk about the difficult things, mm-hmm. joy, hope, and something else that I don't remember right now. Yeah, I guess we'll have to read the book. Yeah, I got to read the book to find out what the heck I'm talking about. But um joy hope oh and meaning but you still should get them up uh we need to talk about the difficult things joy hope and meaning yes Um, and i love that line because 
a life that includes joy after your person dies is a really difficult life. Mm -hmm. It is a life that includes pleasure after your person dies is a really difficult life. If we need you to let go of your grief in order to hold on to joy, we're fucked. Man, you because you're not gonna drop your grief. You should be hosting this one. I'm all choked up over here. <laughs> <laughs> I choke myself up when I talk about this stuff. Yeah. Right? This is I mean this. Like this is makes sense. Letting joy, pleasure, happiness, touch, love into your life after your person dies is very, very hard. But what I say to myself is wouldn't they want that for you? It doesn't Hell matter yeah. what they want for you helps me. I'm glad that it helps you. <laughs> Thank you. That's yeah. That's been something that's actually, I'm like, well, I shouldn't feel guilty because B would want me to feel good right now. Yeah. And here's like, okay, this is a, that's a really good point. And what I love about that is you claiming that for yourself. Mm-hmm. If you weren't feeling that and I said that to you, that would be bullshit. Oh yeah, totally. Well, especially if you had a complicated loaded relationship or if it was an abusive relationship where maybe you're feeling some kind of what's the word when you're feel emancipated Mm -hmm. when you're feeling emancipated sometimes. So it's like conflicting about that or something I've heard. I've heard maybe you've heard this from people where they're like, well, my mother or my father or my caregiver, whatever they were abusive. So I can't necessarily think that they would want the best for me because they never really gave me the best anyway, (laughs) but they still have an attachment. Yeah, let's come back to that in just a second because I, I I don't want to miss. There are two points I don't want to miss. Oh, One sure. is um, agency, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a section in the journal, and it's probably and it's okay too about sovereignty. Definitely a whole bunch of it in the journal. Sovereignty is you know this this right to claim for yourself what is yours, right? Mm-hmm. If you if it feels good and beautiful and useful to you to say. Um, Brian wouldn't want you to blah, 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 blah. And that mm-hmm. feels good to you. Then that is, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. If somebody said that to me about Matt, I would want to whack them. I wouldn't. <laughs> right? But the, yeah. the thing here is like, if you claim it for yourself, it is correct and good and true. If somebody yes. applies it to you, it is fucking wrong. Right. Yeah, and this is, true. this is where it gets a little bit dicey because it's that whole thing of like, um, if I am taking comfort from uh, memories, right, mm-hmm. and that gives me sustenance or um, comfort for the day, that is awesome. What people will often say, if like I'm feeling sad, well, be thankful for your memories. At least you had them as long as you did, right? It's the same mechanism looking back at memories. But how that lands for people is very different, whether they have the power to choose that for themselves or that is foisted upon them. Mm-hmm. So sovereignty and agency in any of the things that we're talking about are important. That's true for any part of being human, but we're talking about grief here. So very mm-hmm. important there. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to lose death. our, I don't want to lose our thread on pleasure. I just want to finish up that mm-hmm. bit there that um, I think it helps to acknowledge that it's difficult that um, that the outside world certainly thinks that if you are happy or you are dating or you are experiencing pleasure that you're all better now. Um, so that can really mess with your head. Mm-hmm. Whatever you choose for yourself, 
it's good like do it Mm -hmm. right but Mm -hmm. happiness doesn't cancel out sadness pleasure doesn't cancel out pain they sit next to each other they intersect with each other Mm-hmm. there's that there's that stupid meme motivational quote thing that says if you didn't know deep pain you would never know deep joy one that's trash oh. <laughs> Two, all emotions are part of being human there there's not a competition there right like there's not a like if your hand closes on this one you can't open it to this other one like all this mm-hmm. stupid shit that we say that's more not binary yeah, more yeah. binary. So mm-hmm. I would say that when you find yourself in a, um, oh, I feel guilty for uh, for having pleasure, for wanting pleasure. What does this say about my love and my grief for this person? Just like have a little light bulb that goes off in your head that goes, oh, binary. Mm-hmm. Binary. I contain multitudes. I get to be all of the feelings mm-hmm. at once. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I just, I love the little, um, you know, m- mindfulness meditation gets a weird gets weirdly diluted in this culture. But for me, like a, a mindfulness or a meditation practice is about being aware of when you're sinking into unhelpful patterns or unhelpful mm-hmm. messaging. And it's not that it's wrong, like brains do what they do, but to be able to say, oh, I'm doing that thing mm-hmm. where I'm pitting pleasure against grief. I don't need to do that. That's a binary. Mm-hmm. Right. So just noticing it and calling it what it is, which is that reductive binary thinking that only works on computers and not on humans. Mm -hmm. Totally. So we'll hit these ones a little quicker because we're having so much fun. And I'm wordy. Oh, me too. too. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost like we've made a career out of talking. Mm, Almost. (laughs) Listener question four. Ooh, okay. I know you can answer this one because you talk about it in the book. How does grief show up somatically compared to other mood states? So somatically in the body. Yeah. If it's in the body, grief affects it. Mm -hmm. Right. We know Mm. from research, from studies, from science that stress affects multiple systems in the body and grief is stress, right? Yes. Grief Mm -hmm. is stress that, doesn't have the the interventions that a lot of others do like they're (laughs) I think that we that from the outside people look at grief of like oh it's just like being this you need some essential oils and some fish oil and you'll be fine uh all of that stuff like a lot of the tools that work for other hard parts of being human don't work in grief Mm-hmm. So grief is an intense form of stress. There's shock. There's sometimes trauma involved. There is, um, there are neurobiological changes that happen, especially if you've lost a partner or um, a child who lives in your home, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's a great book called um, A General Theory of Love. Hmm. It's a little older now. It was, it was, it was new in the early 2000s, I think, but it's still one of my favorite books in the world. It's written by three psychiatrists or psychologists, doesn't matter. It's written by three guys, <laughs> um, but it's about neurobiology, poetry, and attachment. Hmm. It is a really beautiful book. It gets really depressing about three quarters of the way through, but they bring it <laughs> in the end. But what I, what I love about it is it, it was the first time somebody really laid out what happens when you are in a relationship with someone 
Oh, wow. A romantic one, but it talks about neurobiology. You know, that, that corny phrase, you complete me neurobiologically speaking, that's actually accurate. Right. So, um, something that I, that I love about this, like when, um, sometimes you'll, you'll read that, uh, a baby died from failure to thrive. We see that sometimes in, um, under-resourced orphanages, Mm -hmm. right? Failure to thrive is when they've had enough food, they've had enough liquid, their, you know, their physical carnal needs are taken care of, but they aren't touched. Mm-hmm. What happens when a, when a, a mammal is born, you asked me to be brief, but that's not happening. <laughs> when, a, when, a, when a baby mammal is born, its lungs, its respiratory system, its, uh, its nervous system, and some of its brain function is not fully online yet. It needs the rhythm of a stable adult system in order mm-hmm. to regulate and grow. Mm-hmm. So failure to thrive is losing that echo that it needs to breathe correctly or regulate heartbeat and temperature. Those mm-hmm. needs obviously don't become so dire as we age, but they still happen. This right? is why a lot of the more um, woo-woo, hippie, and progressive states when it comes to like uh, childbirth, they'll try to do skin to skin like mm-hmm. immediately. Exactly. But- Right. When I was a kid, apparently after my, I was cut from my mother's loins, uh, they put me in the ward. Like she didn't even hold me immediately. Mm-hmm. Apparently I screamed the loudest baby on the floor that Aww. they'd ever heard apparently. Aww. And I said, well, that's accurate. <laughs> so yeah, I was like distressed immediately. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for priming yeah. my system for that. But yes, that, that skin um, the skin is very important. Yes. And so every system in the body is affected by grief. And Mm -hmm. I mean, this is also sort of a a biological underpinning, maybe completely unfounded by any, unbacked up by any research at all. But um, when you are sort of closer in towards the person who died, like, um, you know, Mm -hmm. you saw them regularly, there's, you know, I remember, gosh, um, it was probably two months after Matt died and I ran into a casual acquaintance and they asked me how I was doing. And I said, not that great, really. And they were like, why? Oh, my God. And I was like, "Um, Matt's dead? Two months. And they said, that's still bothering you? Two months? Two months. And you know two why? Months. Because they saw Matt infrequently. Oh. So his Jesus death- Christ. Have some fucking Never. empathy. Right? Like, what the fuck is wrong? What happened to your nervous system? Was this a white man? Most likely, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, most likely. Um, but yeah, that's the... So, no, honestly, it was probably a white lady. I think I actually remember who it was. Jesus. I thought empathy oh. was taught to us women. Supposedly. Oh, God, no. White women? <laughs> <laughs> I say that as a white person. Um, but no, yeah. so the, the that, there's that thing where, like, if you are not... Um, right. If there is not a, a, a proximity bond <laughs> there. It's not that it's necessarily easier for you, but that there right. is, um, you know, grief in the body is a very mammalian thing. If the system mm-hmm. is in the body, the system is affected by it. And mm-hmm. also like, you know, it's, it's very much like perimenopause where, you know, you don't, you don't sleep well. And so I lost my health- hair. Yeah, man. Like all right. of the, I got my period three times in a month. Mm. Yes. So the hormonal, hormonal 
changes are also really common, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's not just estrogen and, and testosterone. It's also like all of the other hormones that run the body are impacted by stress and grief Mm -hmm. is stress. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a single event stress. It's also about now I have to navigate this world that is completely different than the one that I woke up to yesterday and people are Mm -hmm. being weird to me. And how am I going to do this? That there's a, there is so much stress involved with grief and stress directly Mm -hmm. affects the body, which is why when we talk about like, what are the things that you can do to help support yourself or somebody else in grief? Like the grief itself, the pain itself, that's Mm -hmm. not a problem we can solve. What we can do is come up around and underneath the organism and support the organism to survive what it needs to survive. Grief Mm -hmm. is very hard on the physical body and obviously on the mind and the emotions. So eating, drinking, sleeping, Mm -hmm. moving your body, however you're able All of those things are not going to fix grief, but it helps your body be able to survive and contain what it needs to survive and contain. Totally. Listener question five. This is more of a comment, but this person probably wants advice. Uh, Loving again feels scary to me, especially in a sexual partnership, knowing another loss is possible. Oh God, that one hit me a few months ago. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, the more lovers I have, the more I stand to lose. Terrifying. So let's Mm -hmm. start with this one right up front. If you choose to never let somebody into your life or your heart again, that is your option. I don't want it. (laughs) I know. And I like to give permission for things here because Mm -hmm. I think, I think we can rush ourselves out of that emotion and that panic, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh crap, I don't want, you know, it's going to be so horrible when somebody else I love dies and, you know, I don't want to ever feel this again. I don't, if you feel that way, I don't want you to rush yourself out of it because Mm -hmm. that terror is valid. And sometimes it's comfortable to say, all right, right now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let anybody new into my life because my, my loss analysis is at capacity, right? Like Mm -hmm. I've got all I can handle. You also like, you can't unknow what you know. So I think for a lot of folks, self-included, you know, I had pretty solid anxiety before Matt died. And the way that I used to talk myself down from that was like statistically unlikely, blah, blah, blah. Like, (laughs) Well, when you've lived through the statistically unlikely, you can no longer talk to yourself that way because it doesn't work. Right. So the, I, gosh, okay. So this just came to my mind. There was um, a yoga teacher that I, uh, I sat on their yoga class uh, after Matt died and she said, you know, here's this thing. So like make a, make a fist, make a fist and mm-hmm. sort of dig your nails into your palm and you make a fist. And she's like, if you hold your fist like that all day, when you start to open your fist, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And that image really got me and really stayed with me that, you mm-hmm. know, grief in a lot of ways is a really deep contraction. It's a protective mm-hmm. move and it is going to hurt when you open your hand, Mm -hmm. your people will die. Your pets will die. They will. Mm -hmm. And how are you going to live with your heart blown open like that? Man, I should have had you host the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I do Um, have a new podcast coming up where I get to host the episode, but that's not Do you really? Ooh. Do you know what it's, can you share anything about that before we talk? I sure can. Uh, it's called Here 
after. And we make sure that we always put a pause between the two words because it's not one word hereafter, it's hereafter. Like Mm. this thing happened to you and here you are after. What the hell do we do now? Um, Awesome. So it's going to be a really cool show. It is mostly um, directed at helpers, clinical professionals, healthcare workers, but also folks who really want to know how to show up for their people. The, I didn't want to do a show that was directly for grieving people, because for me, I feel like the, the way to make things better for individual grieving people is to change the world around them and yeah. help the helpers that they're going to intersect with and interact with know how to meet them and support them better. Oh, that's awesome. I love yeah. that. Okay. Well, we're so definitely really here cool. for that. And then there's also like the, I think this is really good timing for this particular podcast because there's so much talk right now about, oh, the pandemic's been really hard on everybody and all of these deaths and all of these different kinds of losses and mental health is really important. Be sure to talk to a therapist. <laughs> well, poor therapists are strained poor right therapists, now. Right? Like yeah. the therapists are also living through this pandemic and the yeah. therapists are also, and also the therapists have been trained to treat grief as a problem to be solved. So mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a the helpers need a lot of help, and I'm really excited to um, be, to be doing a lot of answering listener questions around. You know, I'm a nurse. How the heck do I handle the amount of death that I'm seeing all the time and not make it worse? Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, my listeners, a lot of them will be here for that. So, all right, let's take another break. Hey, everybody, it's L. Are you ready for some discount codes? You can get twenty percent off cool t-shirts like the ones you've seen on Instagram by feministtrash.com. If you enter all caps, L Stanger, that's my name. I recommend using the code stripperwriter for 10% off your orders, $35 or more on sexual wellness items from unboundbabes.com. This is one of my favorite websites. And I know some of you enjoy the Vesper Toys on lovecrave.com. You can use all caps code L for a free engraving on your Vesper Toys. It's one of my favorite vibrators and I also use it to calm down like a uh, sternum vibrator. Nobody's ever asked, but I do indeed receive a portion of sales. Thank you so much to these affiliates for offering to do so and I'm happy to recommend their products. And please let me know listeners what products you like or any feedback about anyone I ever recommend, be it in show or in social media or here. Now let's get back to the show. Do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina? Me too. People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use Stripper Writer for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at Oshihana.com. That's MomotaroApotheca.com and Oshihana.com. 
Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the grief and sexuality episode. Megan Divine, I have a question for you. Um, Something you might be able to relate to. uh, As someone who's lost a partner that you lived with, how often after Matt's death were you looking for something in the house and you thought, oh, I bet I wish I could ask someone who would know where it is? At the time that we're recording, uh, Matt died a little over 12 years ago, and mm-hmm. I still do that. Fuck. Yeah. How long were you two together? Uh, five years. Okay. Yeah. So it it's not constant, right? It's not like, <laughs> you know, oh, shit. Um, Where's the screwdriver? Hey, babe. I, God damn yeah, it. Yeah, right? Like the, I would say for the first few years... I would like go for my phone to text him something. Usually if I saw something that I knew he would like more, Mm. more often that than I was like, where the hell did you put the, Uh, (laughs) but that impulse, right. To ask them where they put something or to, Oh, Matt will do that when he gets home or, Mm. Oh, he just drove. No, he didn't just drive by. That's somebody who Mm. bought his truck. Mm. Right. So that, um, that impulse, I remember being really confused by it. Like, Mm. this isn't like I've been denying his death. Right. You watched it. Like, which I was there. um, So which part of my brain didn't get the memo? Right. And a minute ago, when we were talking about um, the effects of grief on the nervous system and neurobiological regulation, it's like, there is a, um, a habitual gesture there to reach out to the other. Mm. And just because the other is dead doesn't mean that that gesture has dried up, right? Yeah. There is a, a a neurobiological or relational um, habit there mm. that we reach out to the other. And that um, that relational habit or that relational gesture doesn't go away just because the person is dead. Mm-hmm. And I still I still occasionally have that. You know, now it's... Now it's more of like, oh, he would really love that. So mm. that mm-hmm. connection impulse um, is is still there. But yeah, like especially like something something broke in my house the other day, or I was like feeling <laughs> frustrated with the ugly kitchen, and I was like, if Matt were here, yeah. this kitchen would be amazing, right? I also remember <laughs> one of the houses I moved into uh, after he died. I painted I painted the house in colors that he wouldn't have liked. And I, yeah. I remember having an argument in my head with him and, you know, I'm painting it this color and I'm like, oh my God, Matt would hate this. And in my head, I'm going, well, then you shouldn't be fucking dead. You lost, <laughs> your, you lost your right to weigh in on what color the walls are when you died. So, That's funny. yeah. That's so funny because I have something kind of similar to that, but it's different, obviously, because this... Brian shot himself when he was blacked out, but he'd been suicidal since he was nine. Mm. So that was a different dynamic. But I still think to myself, well, he opted out. He doesn't get to have input anymore. (laughs) I painted a lot too. Um, So I'm looking at this article. uh, It was published over a year ago now on thewashingtonpost.com. It's called, I was judged for having sex after my husband died. Mm. I think he would have understood by Anjali Pinto. Mm-hmm. So if I read this, I will absolutely cry. So I'm not going to read it. Um, but she details the intimacy that they had and then her determination to 
heal, she said, having sex with strangers healed me in ways that therapy, friendship, travel, writing, and photography could not. These encounters made me feel empowered, desirable, and more in tune with my body. They gave me agency when my life felt out of control. Um, it was so validating yeah, to she's the best. She also has an Instagram. I don't remember what the name of it is, but uh mm. she's also on Insta and she's she's rad. Let's see. Um oh yeah, there's another article on the Lily about her. Mm-hmm. Uh she was detailing her journal. Okay. Yep, she's, she's great. She, okay, documented her life every day since she was a teen. That's cool. Yeah. Anjalipinto.com. Mm-hmm. Cool. She has the cutest little baby now. Oh my gosh, adorable. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think this is the thing: is that there are no wrong answers here, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody, I mean, every everybody's, you're going to get judged no matter what you do. So follow what is right for you, right? Certainly. Because Certainly. everybody's going to have an opinion. If you mm-hmm. don't date after your person dies, then you're lingering and you're not getting over it. If you do date, then you're a harlot. And how dare you disgrace his memory or their memory by dating already? Like you can't yep. fucking win. So make yourself happy. Right. Whatever is going to help you live this life that you didn't want, but you have, then do that. Totally. Oh yeah. If nothing else, I've learned that this stuff could be over real quick. So yeah. I, I should try to find some kind of comfort if I can. Yeah. I also <laughs> like what she says there. Um, it reminds me of the the question that we were just talking about around joy and pleasure. Like, and, oh, and also like, how, how do I risk loving anything again, knowing that they can disappear in a second? And it's like, mm. you are going to live here. Do you want to have joy and connection and pleasure in your life or don't you? Right. It's like, you can't, I remember, um, before Matt died, we were talking about how my parents, my parents love cats and they didn't want to have any more because they were so heartbroken each time one of them died. And I was just like, I don't fucking get you. Like you get so much pleasure and happiness and joy from having an animal in your life. And you're just gonna, the pain of it is too much. You're going to remove that joy from your life forever. And then Matt died. And I was like, Oh, I get you. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think there is something, um, one, we want to honor that and two, really powerful about that passage that you just read from, from that article where like affirming that love exists, even here in this world that just got completely destroyed. Like that is an immensely powerful act as well. Claiming Mm. joy for yourself, knowing Mm. that it can disappear in an instant. That is an act Mm. of power. Mm-hmm. You can't have that put on you that it's a requirement, but leaning mm-hmm. into joy and connection and love in this life for as long as you have it can be a really, really powerful act. Mm-hmm. She says, while I had the freedom to explore my sexuality with a variety of people, I cleared out a drawer in Jacob's dresser and filled it with condoms, lube, and sex toys. I bought expensive lingerie. I got my first Brazilian wax. Sometimes I was submissive, other times dominating. In every encounter, I felt power in choosing the narratives. Yeah, choice, right? Mm-hmm. Agency, especially when loss makes you feel like you have no power in this world. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that... that sudden loss or accidental loss or just out of order crap um, can make you feel like that you have no power in this world and that's not accurate. Mm -mm. What are some other grief resources that you recommend? I really like uh, Dr. Jessica Zucker's 
work, uh, you can find her on Instagram at I had a miscarriage and also her book, I had a miscarriage. She talks about sex after pregnancy loss, which is not something Mm. that people talk about very often. So she's a great resource um, to check that sort of stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, She's amazing. I love her. Uh, She's also one of my dearest friends. So, you know, a little disclaimer there. (laughs) Um, You might look up, um, Katie Hawk is a journalist, not a grief specialist, but her husband died young and she's written quite a number Mm. of pieces about what that's like being a younger widowed person um, Mm. and getting into a relationship again. Um, Who else do I like trying to think of sort of in that orb? I always recommend the Dougie Center for any grief that involves children. Yes. Because they really D-O-U-G-Y. dot O-R-G. Yeah. They they mm-hmm. have really, really good resources. And if you're local to the Portland area, um, and once they start doing tours of their facility again, check it out. It's like my dream facility. They have the volcano room and the cleaner <laughs> art room. Like it's just it's really cool. They also have I like them. Yeah, a lot. they're really great. They also have mm-hmm. a lot of resources for educators. So part of their outreach Mm. is in, excuse me, helping educators um, be more skilled in the way that they respond to grief in the classroom, which is a super Mm. needed thing. Um, Is there anybody else that I super like that has resources? I can hear your pupper wants to play. (laughs) She just climbed up on the couch next to me again when she realized I was not going to play with her. Yeah. I dislike most grief resources and dislike is a very gentle word for it. I think most of it is utter fucking trash. Um, but <laughs> that's no, that's great. That's legit. Yeah, I those I like those folks. Those folks are good. Most most people are garbage. Katie, uh, Katie and Anjali are really good friends because they their their partners both died around the same time. They both got into new mm. relationships around the same time, and they both had babies at the same time. So mm. they're they're good friends. And Katie is awesome. Katie has, um, I believe, Katie was the journalist I spoke with. Um, there's an article on in GQ that should be Katie's. Mm-hmm. It's H A W K. Uh, on um, how to support a grieving partner, awesome. which is a great article. So that's, uh, that's one of Katie's. That's a good one to put in there. Thank you. Yeah. And lastly, I ask every guest, do you have any sex tips for our audience? But in this case, Megan, do you have any sex after death tips? I do. Uh, respect hmm. your own pacing, which is a sex tip anytime, but especially after a death, you really, you haven't been this person before. So Mm. your desire levels, your libido, your interest, lots of things might have changed. Lots of things might not have changed. So um, be curious with yourself, ask yourself questions and Mm -hmm. know that as with any expression of human sexuality, nothing is wrong, right? It's just curiosity. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Megan Devine. Everybody, you can find some of her work, refugeingrief.com on Instagram at refugeingrief. And the book that we were reading from today is called It's Okay That You're Not Okay. Thank you so much, Megan. I had a really great time crying with you. Awesome. Me too. (laughs) All right, everybody. Until next time. 